Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the Paleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Happy New Year, listeners! Happy New Year! I'm I'm joining you in the 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 like welcoming of the listeners <laughs> this week because I feel I felt like it needed to be like a resounding both of us saying Happy New Year. So I just jumped in right there. Sorry. Go ahead. Happy New Year to you as well. Happy New Year, Stacy. Uh, what did you guys do? Uh, we. <laughs> We, we pretty much hung out at the house for the entire break because um, Mira wasn't allowed to do any activity after recovering from her tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy. But she's like now like in the clear and she's allowed to run around and we made it through the entire recovery period. She's gained back two of the six pounds that she lost. So we're back onto the the right the right swing of things and she's pretty much full back to full energy. So we're, we're on the, we're on the upswing of that, but because she was recovering from surgery, we ended up just sort of laying low all break. And it was really nice. It was actually something that I really needed. We played a lot of board games. We're working on a 2000 piece puzzle that my father sent us for Christmas. Um, and it's, it's, turns out 2000 piece puzzles are really, are really hard. I don't know if, if, if you knew that. The equivalent for us are the 2000 piece Lego sets that we get, but those have instructions. They have instructions and um, you can tell where what kind of piece uh, <laughs> each piece is yeah. as opposed to like, I don't know if this is sky or ocean. I have no idea. Um, so, so we have a very, very, very incomplete puzzle taking up most of the dining room table at the moment. Um, and we did... Um, my oldest daughter, Adele, is uh, working on her science fair project, um, which means we got to play with uranium, and that was pretty darn cool. So her, her project is, was um, how radioactive are the local rocks, and uh, she built a homemade cloud chamber. They're actually really straightforward to build. Um, they require um, like a really high percentage isopropyl alcohol, but we were able to get that at Target and uh dry ice but there was like a dry ice store apparently 20 minutes from my house who knew um so those were i think the only things that were sort of hard to to find and then we were like well you have to have like a you know because we're both scientists right so we're like you have to have a positive control and she watches a lot of mythbusters so she was totally on board with positive control turns out i don't know if you knew this but you can buy uranium ore from amazon and uh to all of our listeners if you need entertainment at any time, if you just want to laugh hysterically, um, I'll let's, let's make sure there's a link to the uranium ore in the show notes. Because if you look at the, the questions and the answers, and then also the reviews of the uranium ore on Amazon, it is hours and hours of entertainment. It is so funny. <laughs> it is just... It's it's just it's pure joy. It's pure joy. It's it's a little bit like um, you know, I give this uranium ore one star. My pet lizard ate it, and now it's six hundred feet tall and terrorizing Tokyo. Right? That's those types of comments. But it's like over and over again. Five stars. I gave this one to my pet spider, and then he bit me, and now I can make webs with my wrists. Right? Like it's it's just it's so tongue in cheek, and it's so funny. You know, I bought this 4.5 billion years ago. When I opened today, it was half gone. Like all of the science nerd in me is just so happy at those jokes. And it's just it's just random people. And then every once in a while, there's like someone who actually bought it. But it's mostly people who are just joking around that you can buy uranium ore from Amazon. Um, but that was just a really like a fun, um, a, like a fun little like spice for our, for our break was playing with uranium and dry ice, you know science nerds in this house what did you guys do science nerds in all the houses um we too had a low-key new year's 
as we always do, we had our pajama party and, uh, you know, just had a bunch of food and people, well, not like a bunch of people, two families, um, over and hung out, played a couple of games and, uh, cheers with some sparkling apple cider. Um, so yeah, it was nice. I cannot believe, and I know that I'm not the only one that it's 2018. Like, Sometimes I know in 2017, I was so, so ready for the new year. Like we had just had such a terrible December that I needed that clean start. But I don't know that I was really mentally prepared for like a whole year to have gone by. So I am uh, still trying to wrap my head around that. I know so many people for whom 217 uh, was just a terrible, terrible year. And it wasn't awful for me but it also wasn't wasn't a year full of like sparkly diamond roses like it just that being obviously my metric for an amazing year um but i think i just know so many people who are just ready to just say goodbye to that year so i kind of i I sort of end up uh almost sort of just being the the like bystander brought into that feeling of of catharsis of no, like 2017 is over and it's like this new thing and and we can move forward with optimism and and feeling like 2018 can be a, a, a better year. But I also feel like, oh, I'm like supposed to be thinking of New Year's resolutions and like I feel like I'm I'm kind of behind on that stuff. Like I haven't really given the, well, what are my goals for 2018 much thought other than my coach suggested we push for a 300 pound deadlift. Um, like, and that was like, yep, that sounds like a great goal for 2018. (laughs) Awesome. Um, and I'm probably not that far off, so (laughs) even better, but, uh, but yeah, like other than, I mean, gym goals are sort of easier to set because it's always like, well, what's, what's the next thing? But I haven't really given a lot of thought as to like what, um, what I want 2018 to, what, you know, if there, is there a theme to 2018 for me or is it, is just like rinse and repeat? Not, I'm not quite sure. Have you thought about New Year's resolutions? So I don't know that I do resolutions. I mean, we kind of talked about this last week. Um, if I do something, it's to, you know, like set myself up for something that I want to do long term. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the first of the year. It's interesting. So when I was tucking Finn and he asked me the same question, I just kind of instinctually responded without thinking. Like, I just was like, oh, what do I want to do this year? I want to work less and have more fun. Like, it just was like, it just came out. Um, And he looked at me and he smiled and he, and I was like, does that sound good? He's like, yeah. And I said, what's your, what's your news resolution? He goes, I don't know. I think I'm going to like do good in school. (laughs) I was like, yeah. at least he didn't say work less and have more fun. <laughs> then you have to say, hang on, kid. Yeah. There's yeah. a difference. Yeah. Well, um, so with that said, I did kind of kick off what could be considered a resolution, but I'm not looking at it that way. I realized over the past couple of weeks that my joints and my skin and my digestion weren't on the up and up. <laughs> they were on a decline. Are you weirdly saying that during the holiday season, maybe some habits slid? Maybe, maybe. So, so I'm sure shocking. nobody listening to this podcast can relate in any way. Right. So it's not that I'm doing a short term goal, diet, reset, reset, whatever, right? There are no rules and there's no set timeline, but I did start to tell myself, this is what I want to do. I want to consume broth every single day and I want to increase my vegetables every day because I know that that will help my digestion. I know it'll help my skin and joints. So, and I, I mean, I've talked about it endlessly on the podcast before about how much consuming broth really affects my health based on my autoimmune conditions. And I had gotten away from it. I was still putting collagen in my coffee or my tea, but it's not the same as actively drinking broth. So I kind of made, um, 
a joke out of things and I'm testing the waters myself and then I'll blog about it. Um, but I am sharing in social media. If people want to follow along on Instagram, I've like done one of the story highlights so you can see the meals that I'm eating that incorporate broth and vegetables. Um, but I am souping like instead of juicing, I'm souping. (laughs) So my, my thought with this is I'm part of a couple of communities who are like health oriented, um, either local communities, crunchy moms, whatever it is. Right. And there were so many people the weeks leading up to new year's who were talking about juicing and they all got juicers for Christmas and, was like juice, juice, juice. And I'm like, where's your fiber and your protein, ladies? Like, this is really a concern for me. And so I offered to that those communities this article that I'd found about what they called souping. And it's basically like a juice fast, but it's a soup fast, so to speak. But it's not actually a fast because you can put full meals and just pour broth over it. And that's a soup, right? So protein, vegetables, all that kind of stuff. So I offered this idea to them. I'm like, Hey, how about we, we soup together. And a bunch of people were like, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that instead of like this juice fast thing that they were all talking about doing. So I felt like I really had one life with this souping idea and convincing people to not only do a high sugar, low fiber juice diet. Um, And what it's made me realize is how few vegetables I was eating before now that I I'm, I'm two whole days through and I'm already really, it's really easy to pack the vegetables into a bowl of soup. So easy, easy place to pack those in crazy easy. Um, and anyway, I just, I'm already kind of, I'm not having that lethargy and that stress about perfect eating and all that kind of stuff, because all I'm doing is for two meals of every day, I want it to be broth based. Like that's my, that's my only rule but, here. Like tis the season too. I mean, we're, I don't, it's I'm cold outside in this Arctic. Yeah. It was 11 degrees in Atlanta this morning. <laughs> it's not normal. 11 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit. So for the rest of the world who speaks Celsius, that's wait, that's like minus 10. That's like in hot Atlanta. I'm using air quotes because clearly <laughs> It is, um, I, I mean, I literally walked outside this way. I was like, wow, I have not felt this temperature in about a decade or more. Um, yeah, so it, <laughs> I suggested to my husband that we have a dinner salad for dinner tonight. And he's like, it's too cold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll cook something. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, yeah. so... <clears throat> One of the things that it's made me realize and think about is that there are a lot of questions that we get specifically about vegetables and being that they are on my mind and that um, we both have our own vegetable hashtags. I thought maybe we could just do a vegetable show. Um and talk about some of the most frequently asked questions that we get. Um maybe starting with, you know, that the health benefits of why we eat vegetables. Um, and, and you have a number that you recommend to, for people to be a goal and, and all that kind of stuff, but then also kind of a practical application of, you know, how we go about getting them in our diets, because you and I approach things differently. I do not eat raw lettuce without salad dressing. (laughs) It's my like favorite snack food. And so. and I love that it's your favorite snack food, <laughs> but it's not my favorite snack food. Like, some people, you know, when they're traveling, they they go to the grocery store and they like buy an apple cuz they're really craving something fresh. I like go to the grocery store and buy a head of romaine. <laughs> like it's it's a, it's it's just a different thing. Um yeah, we get a lot of questions about vegetable intake and I think there's a lot of um misinformation out there about how important they are. And it's one of the reasons why you and I have both taken this, you know, hashtags more vegetables than a vegetarian or hashtag three quarters veggies type approach um, to, to our diets. And it's because the science is really unequivocal that high vegetable consumption is like the number one best thing that we can do for our health. And it's what all of the diets that, have some science to support health benefits like the Mediterranean diet, like the paleo diet. It's what they all have in common is high vegetable consumption. And the studies that have looked at, um, you know, like 
what the benefits are, what they tend to do is they tend to, there's sort of two different ways of doing the study. One is take a group of people, figure out how many vegetables they eat, and then look at their health and maybe follow them for 10 years and look at how their health changes. And then there's also intervention studies where they take a group of people and they figure out how to get them to eat more vegetables and then they follow their health. And no matter how you look at it, basically, the more vegetables you consume, the better, the lower your risk of all chronic diseases. And like, for example, there is a better, stronger relationship between vegetable consumption and bone health. So we see like higher vegetable intake is lower risk of osteoporosis or osteopenia. Um, there's a stronger relationship there than there is with dairy intake. So like it's actually much more important to be consuming lots of vegetables to prevent osteoporosis or a hip fracture in the elderly they'll also look at than anything to do with dairy. Like it's, it's way more about the vegetables. It reduces risk of diabetes, cardiovascular disease. It is the number one dietary factor that we know reduces risk of cancer, um, there's a variety of autoimmune diseases in which high vegetable consumption reduces the risk. It reduces the risk of obesity. Like it's pretty much like across the board, the more vegetables you consume, the better. And what's really interesting is studies that have looked at like in the in ye olden days of like 10 years ago, studies would kind of divide people into groups. And they say, you know, this group has zero to one servings of vegetables. This one has one to two. This one has two to three. This one has three to four. This one has four to five. And this group has five plus servings of vegetables a day. And it's because even if they had 30,000 people in their study, the number of people in the five plus group is so small because the average American consumes one and a half servings of fruits and vegetables daily. Um, so the number of people that you can get in these studies to have statistics, like powerful enough statistics you can actually make a statement based on you couldn't have that 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 top group be five, you know any better than five plus. And in the last ten years, they've been able to expand that, um, and they now have studies that go up to eight plus. Right, their top group is eight plus servings a day. And what's really fascinating about that is, back when the studies were five plus, five plus was always the best. Like people who were eating five or more servings of fruits and vegetables a day had the lowest risk of disease. It reduces all-cause mortality by about 5% per serving. So if you're consuming five servings of fruits and vegetables a day, you lower your risk of all-cause mortality, which means death from any for any reason. So it's a that's a sort of all-purpose measurement of health and longevity by 25%. So it's it's additive. The more you eat, the the better. And now that they've got studies that go up to 8%, they basically show it keeps going. You're getting a 5% benefit, like all the way up to eight servings a day. And there doesn't seem to be a maximum. So you look at the vegetable consumption of hunter-gatherers. Um, there are some hunter-gatherer societies that are consuming like 200 grams of fiber a day. I mean, the average is more like 50 grams, but there are these like groups of hunter-gatherers that are getting 200 grams of fiber a day. And part of that is the vegetables they're eating are higher fiber content than what we can get. But part of that is they're eating just such a huge amount like that's you know the equivalent of close to 20 servings of vegetables a day so um so when we look at the science it's it's pretty unequivocal that there are um tremendous health benefits and there's mechanistic studies as well so those are studies that explain why there's a link and it has a lot to do with the fiber content of vegetables the type of fiber in vegetables and fruit is full of antioxidants. So there's antioxidants built into the fiber structure. And just like antioxidants are anti-aging for us, they're also anti-aging for our gut bacteria. So as our bacteria are uh, fermenting that fiber, right, they're digesting that fiber, they're producing all kinds of important bioactive compounds for us. They're doing things like, so they're controlling our immune system, they're controlling our gut barrier, they're producing neuroactive compounds that control mood, they're producing uh, compounds that control epithelial barriers, which not just the gut barrier, but also the blood brain barrier and the skin barrier. They have these tremendous effects um, on our overall health. And when they're healthy, which they are healthier when they're consuming these these fibers that are full of antioxidants, um, then we're healthier, right? It's just we're we're really just this symbiotic colony of of, of organisms. We're not really a, a, a uni organism, and um, and so fiber is probably the biggest thing. And it's really interesting studies that have looked at fiber intake separately and have have really shown that the health benefits from fiber is 
vegetable and fruit fiber, we don't get those same health benefits from grain fiber. And it's it's because of this issue of the, the fiber structure is being quite different between grains and vegetables and the fiber in vegetables and fruit having all of these great, you know, polyphenols and stuff like that, those great antioxidants wrapped right into the structure. But also fruits and vegetables have a variety of nutrients that are hard or impossible to get from animal foods. So phytochemicals, for example, um, it's like five, 6,000 different chemicals. They are mostly antioxidant, anti-cancer. Um, they are uh, anti-inflammatory. They promote health in a variety of ways. They're considered non-essential, but that's because we don't, it, it's something, it's so hard to be, you know, deficient in phytochemicals because even when you're consuming one and a half servings of vegetables and fruit a day, you are getting some phytochemicals. So there's never been a, a way of measuring what happens when you don't get any like other nutrients that have been labeled as essential. But we do know that even if you don't die, if you don't get any, um, they're, they're still phenomenally important for overall health and we can't get phytochemicals from animal foods. But there's also some other, you know, vitamins and minerals that are much more abundant in, you know, vegetables and fruit compared to animal foods. And so it's really, really tough to get enough if you're have a like overly animal food centric diet. So, um, so it's, 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 it's a really tremendous body of scientific literature. I have a, um, uh, article on my website called The Importance of Vegetables that really digs into some of the statistics. I mean, in some of the impressive statistics, like for example, a fifth of a serving of green leafy vegetables every day is associated with a 13% risk reduction for type 2 diabetes. Like that's that's like a third of a cup of leafy greens, which it's that's like nothing, a 13% lower risk of, of type 2 diabetes. It's pretty this is a pretty amazing statistics. Like when you and we start to look at the collection of statistics of of what we know in terms of the relationship between vegetable consumption and disease, it, it really paints a very very clear picture that eating a lot of vegetables and you know and certainly some fruit is super super important. Uh, so phytochemicals, fiber, um, and then vitamins, right? Like there's a lot of B vitamins that we get uh, in abundance. Vitamin C, vitamin K. Um, there's a variety of minerals, for example, you know, magnesium we're getting predominantly from, um, plant foods. Um, so it's that sort of collection of, of nutrients is the reason why eating high vegetable consumption is, is recommended. So it's, uh, eight a day is, is what the science suggests as a minimum. And, um, I've written about this extensively in Paleo Principles as well, but, you know, I, that breaks down fairly easily to two servings at breakfast and three servings each at lunch and dinner, which is not as So let much. me just let me just yeah. back you up a little bit before we jump into servings. I think one of the things that you didn't specifically cover that we get asked about all the time is this idea of the studies of cancer being caused by that meat can cause cancer as being only based on conventional meat. And we've covered this in a podcast before, but maybe just not only are vegetables um, addressing through the different mechanisms that you just discussed and, inflammation. right, and all that stuff, yeah, but, too. right. But maybe if you could specifically address why that argument is one that we as paleo people should, I won't say should, um, it's not recommended to fall I'll, back I'll, on. <laughs> I'll say should. <laughs> Actually, I'll say shouldn't uh, because that argument is um, terrible. Like it's, it's a completely invalid argument when you're talking about the meat, um, meat causing cancer science. And this is again, a topic that I cover in detail in paleo principles. And I have an article on my website that we can link to in the show notes called the link between meat and cancer. But what's really interesting about this field of study is it's not just that um, there has been these, uh, you know, big sweeping epidemiological studies that go, hey, these people who eat a lot of meat have a lot of cancer. Uh, you know, that's where this field started years ago. But there's actually been mechanisms that have been identified in terms of linking compounds in meat to cancer. And it just so happens that all of the compounds that have been linked uh, between red meat and cancer 
are proteins. So, um, or they're, they're protein linked anyways. So the difference between conventional meat and grass fed meat is in the fats. It's in the, you know, omega three versus omega six fats. It's in the hormones that are in the fats. It's in the, how much percentage of fat is saturated. It's in what, how the leanness of the meat overall, um, grass fed meat does have a higher amounts of some vitamins like vitamin E and vitamin A, um, but it's the the main difference between grass fed and conventional meat is in the fat profiles. There's not a big difference in terms of the amino acid profiles or the types of protein that are in those meats. And so, for example, um, there's a mechanistic link between heme, which is the uh, protein that's at the center of hemoglobin, um, the the oxygen carrying molecule that's in our red blood cells. And heme is one of the things that makes red meat red. And there's been this mechanistic link showing that um, heme is metabolized by the cells that line our intestines into uh, toxic carcinogenic compounds. So when we consume red meat, that heme is converted into compounds that cause cancer, except when chlorophyll is also present in the digestive tract, which is um, an almost identical molecule to heme, but it has magnesium at the center instead of iron at the center. And chlorophyll, of course, is the green pigment in plants that is also the um, molecule responsible for converting you know, sunlight into energy in plants. And so if chlorophyll is also present heme, instead of being metabolized into these toxic compounds that cause cancer, it's metabolized into completely inert compounds. And so when you look at the link between meat and cancer, because it's all links with proteins in in the meat, you can't make the argument that meat quality is a really big factor or that, you know, somehow the meat, like when you're looking at mechanistic studies, um, you know, meat quality is, is a completely moot point because you're talking about these individual proteins. Um, there's also a link between the L-carnitine in meat and uh, cancer. And it turns out that the bacteria that love to eat grains in the digestive tract are the bacteria that are responsible for the conversion of L-carnitine into carcinogenic compounds. So if you're not eating grains and you're eating a lot of vegetable fibers, and you have a different composition of your gut bacteria, you're in good shape. Um, so it, 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 over and over again, when you, when you look at the mechanisms that have been identified, uh, vegetable consumption ends up negating it, other than there's like one, one potential compound in which you can't say that vegetables would obviously negate that mechanism, except that we see in scientific studies over and over and over again, when you correct for vegetable intake. So when you take these big correlative studies that look at meat consumption and cancer, as soon as you correct for vegetable intake, the correlations disappear. So we we know that high meat consumption in the absence of vegetables does unequivocally cause cancer, and there's mechanisms that have been identified. High meat consumption in the context of a vegetable-rich diet does not cause cancer, and that's because of the protective nature of vegetables. You've got, you know, not just the interference with these particular mechanisms, but you've also got all of the anti-cancer, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory phytochemicals that are working in there. You've got um, other important nutrients that are helping immune system function. It's important to remember that cancer is caused by immune system dysfunction in in a different way than autoimmune disease is caused by immune system dysfunction, but it's still a failure of the immune system to do its job because the immune system is supposed to detect cells that have undergone what's called transformation. So they, they're cells that have basically lost, lost the ability to, to perform their normal duties and they, sort of accidentally turn into cancer cells. And we have immune cells whose job it is, is to patrol the body looking for those cells and kill them. And those cells, what happens in cancer is those cells aren't doing their job. So it's a uh, part of the immune system that's suppressed. It's usually a different part of the immune system that's suppressed in autoimmune disease. But that's why there's such interesting links between cancer and autoimmune disease. So that all being one big rant to say, 
Um, eat your vegetables. <laughs> eat your vegetables. And and um, you can't fall back on the, well, I'm eating grass-fed meat, so I don't need to worry about cancer argument. It, it really has to do with the overall diet. And we really unequivocally understand that high vegetable consumption is is really important. And it's one of the reasons, I mean, there's other reasons as well. And we've already talked about this on the podcast, so I don't want to rehash it completely. But it's one of the reasons why I um, am really don't support ketogenic diets or very low carbohydrate diets because they're too low vegetable consumption. You cannot get that low carbohydrate and consume enough vegetables to be meeting the recommended daily allowance of fiber, for example. Um, and that's also shortchanging us on all of these other incredibly valuable nutrients that are in vegetables and fruit. And the science doesn't support long-term benefits from those approaches. Um, it doesn't even necessarily uh, support short-term benefits from those approaches. You know, we have this tremendous body of scientific literature showing that high vegetable consumption aids in weight loss and reduces uh, obesity risk and reduces, actually can help normalize a lot of the brain chemistry things that are happening in obesity and binge eating disorder um, to help regulate cravings and appetite and metabolism. Like it's, it's really phenomenal. And um, it's, it's, I, it takes, you know, it, it's, we've gone so far away from high vegetable consumption on average in society that in order to get back, it doesn't seem natural for a lot of us. It's it's not the way we grew up. We're not used to cooking that way. We're not used to our plates looking that way. It's not what the plate looks like when we order in a restaurant. Um, but when you look at these super healthy, you know, the societies in the, the world who live in what are called blue zones that have these super high percentages of octogenarians, um, they're all societies that eat a tremendous amount of vegetables. And for them, that's, they're not, eating a lot of vegetables to live longer, it just happens to work out that way. But it's part of their culture. There are parts in the world where this high vegetable consumption is just so natural. And so the trick is to get back to that. The trick is to to get to a place where three servings of vegetables on a plate is just that's just how how we eat. That's that's just that's just normal. Uh, did I soapbox a little bit there? Only in a way that I need and want to hear. <laughs> Do you want to talk about servings, though? Because I think that's really a really important. I do. Yeah, when you jumped into that, it, I know that's like another very common one. So I hear people all the time ask, "Well, is it cups? Is it servings? Is it cooked? Is it not cooked?" And in my understanding, and you can correct me, um, is what you said, which is it's a serving, which is different for the different fruits and vegetables that you're eating. Okay. So let me give a general rule of thumb. A serving is typically defined as 80 grams. Um, and so what that generally uh, translates to, depending on what you're eating, is a medium-sized piece of fruit. So a piece of fruit about the size of a baseball. Uh, so think of like a medium apple, not one of those giant apples. It's about half a cup of cooked fruit or vegetables. So a half cup of mashed sweet potato, uh, or a half cup of steamed green beans. It's about a cup of raw vegetables, and it's about two cups of leafy greens. So two cups of raw spinach or shredded lettuce, one cup of, you know, chopped up carrot sticks or sliced cucumber. Uh, it's a half cup of fresh fruit or berries. Um, and to give people a, a sort of a gauge, a cup is about the size of an average fist. Um, so it's not that much. If, you, if you're thinking about, you know, half a cup of cooked vegetables is a serving, getting your three servings is, of dinner is like a fist and a half of cooked, you know, vegetables, steamed broccoli, roasted sweet potato, whatever. It, it's... Well, when I think about it, if like, if you have a salad for lunch, even though the greens are voluminous and it's, you know, like a cup of them if they're raw, most salads, like I'm not even talking like a BAS, right? I'm talking like a normal salad would have at least three cups of vegetables, like between, Typically. between the greens and the different toppings that are going on it. Like to me, like you said, if you're having a, a healthful lunch, 
and a dinner that incorporates vegetables instead of grains, like you said, either between the potatoes and the greens and the carrots or, you know, for me, like we made fomato sauce for dinner tonight and there was like definitely a cup of that sauce poured over top. So, and that's a sauce. It's, it's not, you know, like mm-hmm. I just, I think that there are so many opportunities and people aren't necessary. When, when you hear eight servings of vegetables, people freak out. And I have heard countless times like that's unattainable. Well, I just don't, I don't necessarily agree. And I think that we have to think outside the box on what that looks like. And setting ourselves up for success to achieve that, right? Like if we if we have a simple breakfast of just scrambled eggs or hard-boiled eggs, you know, on the road or something, and then you have a lunch where you have a sandwich on gluten-free bread and there's just a couple pieces of lettuce inside. Yeah, it's going to be really difficult to hit eight servings at dinner time. Right. Yeah. But if we're thinking, <laughs> you know, like – overall healthful approach and how can we incorporate this sustainably long term we're not asking you to tomorrow go from one and a half servings to eight but there are so many ways to do it and adding vegetables into your scrambled eggs or making yourself a frittata or sarah's got a recipe for green eggs that blends greens in with eggs in a way that you can literally just we call it egg pizza a frittata because you can slice it and eat it on the road right you can put vegetables in there so that you're getting one to two servings of vegetables at breakfast. And then you can add a side of carrots or um, whatever at lunchtime to get in, you know, two servings of vegetables. And then you're up to four and you have four for dinner. And maybe you don't hit all four at dinner. But I just think that this idea of vegetables being impossible or, as we previously discussed, vegetables not being important because we're eating grass-fed meat. It's just, it's really selling ourselves short of something that we know to be healthful. And I kind of feel like it puts us on that cliche map of the cavemen only eat bacon standard of paleo. And I'd like to think that our audience is better than that. (laughs) I mean, we already know our audience is better than that. Yes, of course. I think... So there's kind of two things that I want to add to that. One is that the A to day is vegetables and fruit. And a lot of people find it a lot easier to eat fruit. Now, I'm not recommending we go nuts on fruit. I'm not recommending we rely on fruit to get our A to day. But like if having a, a half cup of berries on the side of the scrambled eggs in the morning feels like a more normal breakfast, then that's an okay place to start. I mean, I we definitely, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot less sugar in vegetables compared to berries, but berries still have a lot of fiber. They still have a lot of nutrients. They still have a lot of, you know, phytochemicals. Like it's, and it's okay to have some fruit in a day. Like that's, that's totally fine. We don't want to overdo fructose, but it takes usually between, depending on what type of fruit you're eating, between two and five servings of fruit a day will still keep us under that. Like it's, five servings of something like berries, it's two servings if it's a higher fructose content fruit like mangoes or apples. Um, that still keeps us under the um, limit for for fructose consumption in a day. So it's, I, and I'm not, I don't really want people to go out and do like, oh, I'll have five servings of fruit and three servings of vegetables because that's definitely not the right balance. Um, but if you want to consider one or two of those servings to be fruit and just think about six servings of vegetables a day, like suddenly that doesn't seem quite so crazy. And I also really recommend, you know, grabbing uh, a couple of those um, dry cup measuring cups um, that are like this, this scoop is the the one cup scoop and this scoop is the half cup scoop and um, putting your vegetables in there and seeing what that looks like on your plate. So I put, you know, I put my half cup of steamed broccoli florets in in my little half cup scoop and then I scoop that on my plate it it's not as crazy to, as it seems and it's one of the reasons why you know I consume typically more like 14 15 servings of vegetables a day and it's because a half cup of steamed broccoli really isn't that much like it it, it really isn't and as you start to be mindful about this and increase your vegetable consumption it gets easier and easier to more of them like it it really is 
something that you feel so much better so quickly upping vegetable intake. And um, as your digestion adjusts, it tends to regulate itself really, really well. Like the gut just loves it when we eat a lot of vegetables. And then it becomes it becomes like the normal thing. And, and it becomes like, I don't measure, I just scoop onto my plate. And those scoops get bigger and bigger and bigger, especially for me, like things I love to eat. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's um, uh, there's like this uh, satisfaction from chewing and swallowing food. That's probably like a kind of like like leftover of of having binge eating disorder in my 20s and early 30s. Uh, but it's it's still something I find great satisfaction in. And it's a great way for me to increase the size of a meal. It increases the nutrients of a meal, but it doesn't increase the calories very much as I tend to like way up. I, I put no limit on my uh, non-starchy vegetables on my plate. So if that's what I want seconds of, like, sure, I'll have seconds, thirds, whatever. Like I'll, I do sit and eat an entire head of lettuce. That is actually a thing that I do and I really enjoy it and it makes me feel happy. Um, it's my favorite vegetable. So what can you do? But it's it's a way that I can even, you know, get that volume of food that I really enjoy eating while still actually, you know, exerting portion control and improving my health because I'm getting, you know, so much great fiber and nutrients out of it. I think it's um, good that you mentioned it's fruits and vegetables, but also the balance. I was hesitant to mention that because I do think that people might lean on it. But I think especially for active people and for children, um, fruit is, it has tons of nutritional benefits, especially um, one of the interesting things for me was when we had, I think it was the last show, we were talking about sugar cravings and you were talking about how vitamin C is really helpful for you. So you'll have an orange. Like it occurred to me that I don't think I'm getting enough vitamin C because I don't eat a lot of the foods that are high vitamin C naturally. Like sweet bell peppers is something I'm really drawn to, but I haven't had in years and they're like a super high food source of vitamin C. So I started thinking like, what am I eating that's high in vitamin C? And there isn't really a lot. So I started having oranges this week. They also happen to be in season, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's kind of like my, my one fruit of the day. And not that I want to restrict myself to fruit, but I just think like I crave something, a snack sometimes around three o'clock or right after dinner or something like that. And to me, I'm like, this is the perfect time to have an orange and it has been really helpful. So Sarah, it's almost like, you know what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, but the thing with fruit is it's not a demon. Like if the worst thing that we're eating is fruit people, like we don't have a problem, you know, like if you have an apple with almond butter or whatever, or if you have an orange or you have berries, like great, you are adding vitamins and minerals that you need into your system. And I think, you know, we have to listen to our bodies. And so the point, however, is that fruits are not going to give you everything that you need. And they're not, I don't think they have chlorophyll either. I mean, maybe some of them do. Um, Yeah. So green fruits do. So like kiwis actually do. Um, but yeah, you're not, so there's a separate benefit to chlorophyll rich foods. So like a separate benefit to green vegetables above and beyond other vegetables. So this is a great place to talk about eating the rainbow and why that's actually important because the things that pigment fruits and vegetables are actually phytochemicals or nutrients and different types of pigments, so red versus orange versus yellow versus purple versus blue, um, are different different chemicals. And, and we actually can see that there's different types of benefits to different colors of fruits and vegetables. So in that eight a day, um, you know, it's really important to try and have something green at any meal in which there's meat. And um, it's no, not try. It's really important to eat something green at every meal in which there's meat. And then have some other vegetables in there as well. Um, but to also think about eating eating the rainbow. So wh- however we can mix up those colors becomes really, really helpful for nutrient diversity. So making sure that we're actually getting the full complement of essential and non-essential nutrients. And the best way to do that is with food variety. And that comes from everything. It comes from 
sometimes choosing seafood and sometimes choosing in your seafood, sometimes fish and sometimes shellfish and sometimes beef and sometimes pork and sometimes chicken and sometimes, you know, wild game and, you know, mixing it up and sometimes organ meat. And um, same thing with, with vegetables, the more variety that we can have. And that's variety, you know, not just in sometimes carrots, sometimes kale, but it's even carrots. Sometimes I get purple carrots, right? And whatever we can do to increase the variety is, is really, really helpful from a nutrient sufficiency standpoint. I, I think the other thing about eating the rainbow is you're also getting a variety of flavors. And so one of the things that I did as a mom with young children was making sure that my kids got a variety of foods at a young age so that their palate was amenable to a variety. And I think what I experience or what the feedback that I get from people is not everyone has has had that opportunity or, um, you know, came to paleo later when their children were a bit older and their kids are a little more picky and therefore they have a difficult time eating some types of fruits and vegetables. So I just want to talk really quickly. We don't, we haven't actually been talking parenting in a long time, but I know that most of our listeners are parents or, um, no parents or, you know, whatever. Um, so I think that I would go about this in two different ways. One, obviously, um, we have to introduce it and it has to be on the table. And there are a couple of facts that kids, um, are seemingly convinced by, uh, kids love science, or at least most kids I know love science. And so talking about how taste buds change and, um, every seven years, the, taste buds completely shed their skin and something that you may have completely disliked or liked becomes something that you feel the opposite about. Um, Wesley recently experienced this. He turned seven this year and this year he stopped liking mushrooms, which were one of his favorite foods. It was really interesting. Like he, he just one day at the table, um, put mushrooms in his mouth and was like, I don't like these anymore. And that, I mean, like literally went from ordering them on his pizza. That's how much he liked him to won't even eat something with mushrooms in it. So, and we don't give him a hard time about that because just like we are as adults, we have tendencies to like and dislike certain flavors. And, you know, I don't like, um, well, I don't really know what I, I mean. Black olives aren't my favorite. Um, a lot of people don't like eggplant or artichoke or what, right? Like there are so many different things that just as adults, we don't have a preference for, and we don't give ourselves a hard time for not liking something. It's <laughs> that's your taste buds. You just don't we like just it. Don't eat them. Right. But there are ways to make, if you, if you have a child who doesn't like any vegetables and you can't get that variety in that rainbow, I think that it's important to come up with ways to help them. A, they need to try. They need to be exposed to a food several times. I think Sarah, you once said there was a science on exposure a certain number of times as being kind of a, a magic, um, sure is a fact, the number four, is that what you said? Yeah. Um, and so I don't believe in forcing children to eat foods. I don't believe in bribery, but I do believe in needing to try something. And if after, you know, multiple attempts, if it's on the table, they try it, they don't like it, then there can be another option for them of a different kind of vegetable that they do like. But if we don't expose them and encourage them to eat these foods, then they're never going to eat the foods on their own. They have to be exposed and they have to come to like it. So that goes to my second point, which is there are ways to prepare foods that make them more flavorful than others. I think we all probably have a dish that we grew up eating that our parents Oils, made. Sprouts. Right. That we just... Every not, time it was on mom, the table. It's not cool. It's just, why did you boil them? Right. Mom, why? I love you, mom. But why did you boil them? Why? Sprouts? Why did you ruin you could the breast have roasted them and they would have been delicious. <laughs> Candy. But instead, we boiled them. I mean. Ugh. So we all we all have Sarah's Brussels sprout story, right? <laughs> like there's, there's something that our parents made that just every time you saw it, you're like, oh, you know, I don't want to eat that cooked that way. Um, and so think about the flavor that you're introducing to food. There's umami, 
Um, there's caramelization of flavors. There's layering of flavors. There's building sauces into things. Kids love sauces and dips. Like I can see my kids eat 10 times more vegetables if I put a dip out than if I don't. Like they just will not eat plain raw vegetables. But if I put a dip out, they will use the vegetable as a spoon to inhale dip. But um, they just were not we don't do a lot of raw vegetables. That's just not kind of our palate. It's difficult for me to digest a lot of raw vegetables. And so it's just kind of out of habit. We don't have it around a lot, which means they've gotten out of habit of eating it. But we almost, you know, every time we have a party, we put out a vegetable platter with dip and I always see them standing around the vegetable platter, eating a ton of vegetables, eating a ton with the dip. Right. So, um, I think that there are different ways, for example, roasting a Brussels sprout instead of boiling it or making carrot soup where you can put in things like cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, coconut milk, and you can make it something delicious if your child doesn't like um, carrots. There are transformative ways of things that you can do with cauliflower that no one ever knew you could do with cauliflower I on the internet. gravy with cauliflower. Yeah. I, you know, broth and, and cauliflower until it's... Um, like overcooked and then blend it together and salt it, it is a, it, I mean, it just tastes like gravy. And then you're dipping all the things, you're pouring it over everything, and it's a vegetable and broth. Like, uh, it's amazing. And one of the other things my boys really loves is when we put cabbage underneath um, roasting a chicken. Like the cabbage soaks up the chicken juice and becomes what they describe as the most delicious thing ever. Um, and cabbage hey, hang on, hang on. I need more details. Uh, do you shred it first? <laughs> like shredded cabbage underneath? Yeah. So like big- our bacon wrapped chicken recipe is mm-hmm. like award winning. And what makes that recipe amazing is that the juices from the bacon wrapped chicken actually go onto what we call sliced cabbage and the cabbage absorbs it. So we have taken that recipe and every time we cook a poultry, we put the cabbage underneath. So this year when we made a roasted turkey, we put cabbage underneath for Thanksgiving. And anytime we cook chicken, we put it on like the slat that I forget what you call the risers that you put on a baking sheet for meat, right? Like the, what are they called? The rack, the rack thing. Um, The same way that you would, put bacon on that rack thing so that the juices would drip down underneath. We put cabbage underneath. Like it's just, it's perfect because it doesn't need a lot, a lot of fluid to cook and it caramelizes and, and roasts up in that chicken juice in an amazing way. So you just put it, I'm so, I'm so trying this. Like, you just put it, I cook chicken just raw. Like you don't even need to no no seasoning, no anything. Cause you put all the shredded, seasoning shredded cabbage. Like, yeah. Cause all the seasonings already on the chicken. And so when those juices fall, it's now being absorbed by the, by the cabbage. I mean, I'm, no, I'm, I'm taking notes. And, <laughs> uh, it sounds great to me. Um, and I, I have, you guys are like the, the like masters of cooking cabbage. Like mm-hmm. every time you guys cook cabbage, I'm like, Oh, I have to do this at home. And I do, I always take it home. I can't tell you how much I've been doing uh, sausage and cabbage hash. Like what we had. Mm. Here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I literally cook that like every weekend. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just taking notes. We love cabbage. It's such a cheap vegetable. It's hearty. It lasts forever and it's green, right? So it's It's like super nutritious. It's a cruciferous vegetable. It's got all the good things. Yeah. Yeah. Cabbage is one of our family's go-to cauliflower, cabbage, and, um, like butternut squash and bait and, um, potatoes are the ones that we keep around all the time because they last so long and we just know that there's so many things that we can do with them. So anyway, I just wanted to tell people who are feeling not just like they want to eat more vegetables. I know, um, like we've been spending a lot of time with a family lately who is not paleo and whose kids were not exposed to a lot of flavors and vegetables when they were younger. And I'm remembering outside of this bubble that I've been living in surrounding myself with paleo people for so long that like when we eat meals together, she's like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe the foods that your kids eat. And I'm like, really? Like, I just, we're just eating dinner. Like, it's not, you know, but I, I have to, I think we have to remind ourselves that not everybody is at that point, even if you're a listener of the podcast and 
you are at that point with your family, there's probably someone in your life that isn't. And so the more that we can influence everyone in our lives to be exposed to more flavors, and oftentimes that just means cooking good food, right? Like if it tastes good, when people try it, they want to eat it. So, and you want to eat it. I know that's why I don't love raw vegetables because to me, it doesn't taste good. Sarah loves it, but to me, it doesn't taste good. It doesn't sit well with my body. So I have to give myself vegetables that make me feel full and nourished and fulfilled and like satiated because they like it has to taste good for me to feel that way. Otherwise, I just feel like I'm checking a box on a form and that, nope, you can't, that's not sustainable long-term. It's just not. So make sure that this is an enjoyable experience for you and not that you're like choking down that eighth serving of vegetables. Like that's not the goal here. Uh, yeah, here, here. Um, I think... I think we've got it covered is what I think. Yeah. I mean, listen, we've, we, we love you and we know that some of you are on the struggle bus with vegetables. So I hope that this has answered most of the kinds of questions that you have. Well, and been motivating to, yes. to work on it. And, uh, you know, I think we've covered this on podcast before, but maybe as like one final point, like, remember, it's okay to sort of inch your way up in vegetable intake. Like it's okay. Like see where you're at right now. And if it's at four a day, Think about uh, where you can add a half serving, right? Where can you add a half serving in your day? And then after a few days, once you've got that down, or after a week, once you've got that down, where can you add another half serving? Like, take it in, in bits and pieces. Like, it is always okay to tackle change in an incremental fashion if that is what works best for you. And it can be a bit of a shock on the digestive tract to go from regularly consuming four servings of vegetables a day to regularly consuming eight. So there is an additional argument to be made for, for tackling that kind of change incrementally because it gives your digestive tract time to adapt because eating more vegetables does sort of support different types of bacteria in the guts. It regulates motility in the digestive tract differently. So uh, a little bit of adjustment as you're going up can be very, very good in mitigating potential symptoms from going all in really quickly. Agreed. And we have recently talked about, you know, adjusting carbohydrate gradually as well. And so, you know, one of the things that I did specifically in the meal plan that I'm working on with this souping that I'm doing. And if you want to join me, use hashtag SuperStacy because I want to see all the soup everybody's eating. But um, one of the things that I did in the meal plan is that the dinner that I'm eating um, is having intentional carbohydrate in it because most of the soups that I have are not very carbohydrate rich. And I know that my body will not respond well to being super low carb and that I also do um, better with sleeping and winding down in the evening if I've had some carbs. So, you know, it it's not, there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of pieces to puzzle and it can feel overwhelming. But I think, you know, when you're when you're adding these vegetables, these fruits and vegetables to your diet, think about the the balance that your body has been used to and ease into a transition. I mean, you can certainly you know add, add more vegetables, like great, no problem there. But if you go from you know eating a lot of grains and starches, even if they were gluten free um, and sugars from the holidays and all that kind of stuff, to immediately jumping into um, no, you know, no, no, very low carb because you're eating basically all uh, green vegetables, for example, then you're, you're going to have a shock to your system that might not be something that you want to experience. <laughs> so uh, just, you know, add, add a little bit at a time, you know, like, um, add those carbs in a vegetable form. Like for me, I had potatoes this evening. Um, in, in a, you know, moderate sort of way that fits within what your body might need. And it, we all need different things. I just happen to know, because I've been doing this for a long time, that my body will, will do better with that sort of transition. So, all right. Yes, we have tackled it all now. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the thing when we talk about subjects that we um, feel very passionately about, which is a lot of, a lot of topics. Let's, let's be frank. It, it's, um, it's obviously something that we could you know, probably continue to discuss and getting into more and more minute detail 
um, for like the next six hours. But in the interest of saving everyone's times and uh, us being able to go to bed at a good time, uh, I, th I think that makes a nice bookend for it for today. Um, I do want to remind people that it is super useful if you like the podcast to leave uh, reviews on iTunes. It helps the podcast rank higher, so it helps other people find the podcast. Um, and I do want to say that I got a comment from one of the people who is taking uh, my course, the AIP Lecture Series, who said she just finished binge, binge listening to the, the podcast every day when she went out for a walk, and it took her two years to listen you should see my face right now like my jaw just dropped open my eyes popped open i just i mean like my eyeballs are the size of quarters and i have tiny eyes i'm like what two years every day this woman listened to us like she deserves an award that's this is pretty much what i told her i said like wow you must have walked a ton like that's just amazing and she was like yep it was you know and she she was like super excited to be finally caught up so um, I, I just think that's such a great story, but I do want to remind people um, about leaving reviews and just generally just sharing, uh, sharing anything that you, that you like from not just us, but other paleo bloggers. It's a wonderful way to support us, to share us with your friends. So whether that's sharing a Facebook post or an Instagram or tagging somebody or lending them one of our books or gifting them one of our books reviewing our books on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Um, these are the types of things that, that don't take a ton of time for you, but it helps grow um, our reach and helps other people find answers to their health problems. And it's really a, a, a critical aspect of being able to continue to grow this movement and, and continue to get the right information into to people's hands so they can regain their health. Awesome. Well, Sarah did the outro, so I guess it's my turn to say... Thank you, and we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I so consider drunk casting, and I, I, I held it together for you. I mean, delirious casting is almost as good. Right? At least if I was drunk casting, I probably wouldn't be delirious. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.